0: Welcome to another episode of Alaska Motorsports Podcast. Sit back and enjoy the ride. back to another episode of alaska motorsports podcast Uh, i have a guest with me this evening sergeant mike potter out of the fairbanks office he's going to talk to us about hunting and the do's and the don'ts that we should know before we go out in the woods hunting or atv riding we had back and forth emails trying to get this thing squared away and there's been a lot of questions that have come up and some ideas so we're gonna get started there welcome mike i appreciate you taking the time and thank you for what you do i know the wildlife up here is abundant but we still have to protect it
1: well thanks mike i appreciate that happy to be here and answer any
0: questions all right at any point you need to elaborate on anything you know feel free to do it as you wish uh So, let's move on to the questions. Uh, A lot of these questions, believe it or not, came from my coworkers. A lot of us are hunters and we were going around asking each other, and this is what we sort of have come up with. So, question number one. What do you do if you shoot an animal and it runs onto, like, protected property, like it runs onto the native corporations or it runs onto private property? What can you do about that?
1: Well, we, we actually have that circumstance arise fairly frequently. Ideally, the best thing is to avoid that situation. I mean, if you're going to be hunting, you probably want to be in an area where it's not likely that that's going to occur unless you've already got permission from the landowner to be on their property because obviously, you know, once you shoot an animal, it, it may go some distance before it dies. So that's going to be a potential. And you know, if you don't have permission to be on property, that's trespassing. You can't enter somebody's property without their, their permission. Potentially, it could be a criminal act. If that happens, you should probably just contact the wildlife troopers or the state troopers in the area. And we can try to reach some resolution of that between the, the property owner and the hunter. Uh, we do that frequently. But again, you ideally, you try to avoid that situation when you take the animal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that actually makes sense. Um I know a couple of times I I used to hunt up along the pipeline and I found out that the the property lines are, are so close to each other that I never knew wh- whose land I was on and I understand there's a App that you can get now that you it actually shows on the GPS that shows property lines where you are. Um I don't know if that's true. I haven't tried that yet, but I understand that there's one out there. But it's it's one of a lot of these questions are coming from the fears that I've I've developed over the years. On to the next question. Uh I know we can't shoot from roadways, but here in Alaska, you know, a dirt road could be a road. How do you determine what is a trail and what's a road? I mean there's to me, there's a big if there, you know, uh, there's a lot of trails I've gone down that sure feel like roads, you know, they've got stone on them or gravel or something like that, but come to find out they're just trails are not roads. So can you elaborate any on that?
1: Yeah, sure, Mike. So in Alaska statute, the or regulation, the, the highway is defined as the drivable surface of a constructed roadway. And that's, that's the definition of highway that would that would apply to shooting on, from, or across a highway, that particular regulation. So basically, if it's a constructed road, like a road that has been built for vehicles to travel on, it, it counts as a highway, and that, or at least for the purposes of that restriction. So for the most part, ATV trails and that kind of thing are, aren't really constructed. They're just there because people have used them. In other words, repetitive use that leads to the establishment of that trail. So they wouldn't really count for, for the most part for, uh, for a highway, but any constructed roadway does count. So, you know, a logging road or, or a very simple road, it doesn't necessarily have to be a paved road with a street sign on it to be considered a highway.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the street sign. That was one of the things that a coworker had brought up. He he thought that the answer was if it had signage on it for speed limits and stuff like that, or it's named, then it's a road, not a trail. No, that's not the case. Definitely
1: not the case. So, yeah, just anything that's constructed. And basically, if you can see that. Uh, some entity whether it's private or public has taken some effort to build a road there for people to travel on then that's a road that's a highway and you shouldn't be shooting on from or across it okay. but if it's just a atv trail or some trail that's established merely by use that that would not count as a road
0: okay all right so here's one of the questions that you actually educated me that uh shooting from your machine i myself I'd lean on over my machine, literally have leaned across the hood to stabilize my gun uh, before I make the shot, and I understand that that's not legal. Yeah,
1: so you shouldn't be shooting from a motorized vehicle for the purpose of taking game. There are some exceptions to that in particular parts of the state or in game management units, but for the most part, you, you certainly shouldn't be on a vehicle that's propelled. And shooting from it you also shouldn't be shooting from a vehicle even when it's stopped other than a boat generally speaking if the boat has stopped all forward motion gained by you know, gained by its power then you can shoot in some gmu's but uh not in all of them so generally speaking it's probably if you want to make sure to be following the rules in all parts of the state you just shouldn't be shooting from a vehicle you really need to look into your Particular regulations in a particular area because there are a bunch of exceptions to that. So
0: yeah, it's it's funny you bring it up because that was one of the things I wanted to add in here tonight is that the hunting regulations. I mean, you guys print a bible out there basically. It's it's thick book and every area has a, a different set of regulations for it. Like I I've learned that up by toke and chicken an area that it's basically any bull but so that would eliminate your 50 inch or 54 inch requirements is is that because there's just more bulls up there and they're just trying to thin the herd out or is that that way every year you do you know mike Uh, i
1: do so the best way to put it is uh the various bag limits which is what what defines what a legal animal for that season is uh, the various bag limits are arrived at by the primarily by the Board of Game process. So that that's a essentially a political process in Alaska. So our regulations are determined by the Board of Game. The, there's input received from various advisory committees around the state. So every region of the state has an advisory committee or an AC made up of locally elected citizens who make recommendations on proposals for changes to the fishing game regulations, hunting and fishing regulations. And uh, then ultimately those are decided by the board of game, whether they're going to take up or add a new regulation or make a change to regulations. So that over time that has resulted in a fairly complicated set of regulations around the state and uh, it varies from area to area and they do change over time so you know what is legal today or this year may not necessarily be legal next year because the regulation may change and it is there is no doubt that the regulations in Alaska are fairly complicated but keep in mind it's a very large state and uh, there's a lot of different sort of customs and In parts of the state where methods and means are traditionally varied, you know these different, different ways of doing things. So that that's also plays a part in that as well. And also in Alaska, our natural resources are very important to I think the citizens of Alaska. So take it pretty seriously, obviously. And it's one of the few places in the country where our natural processes are still basically determined by. By natural well, by nature itself so in other words we we still have predator populations here which have a large impact on the game populations and unlike a lot of states where they really don't have natural predation only source of predation is is hunting so their hunting regulations are probably tend to be a little bit more free and open there because they uh, have less concerns about over harvest than we do here but all that kind of a roundabout way of saying, yep, our regulations are pretty complicated here. You do need to pay a lot of attention to the regulations because of that. Uh, that is mostly due to the, the process by which our Constitution uh, determined, has determined that we come up with these regulations. It, it's basically a, meant to make sure that the the people of Alaska have a say in the way the regulations
0: good that's i'll tell you what mike you've been educating me since we've been uh, corresponding back and forth you've been educating me that's for sure i know you can't shoot an animal as it's swimming about two years ago my wife and i while we were camping we came across the bull moose that was swimming out across the lake and i got to thinking about it you know i know you can't shoot while he's in the water but at what point when he comes out of the water you know or is there like a 20 foot mark or is there 50 foot i i I looked i couldn't find anything in the regulations this animal was safe at the time because there was no hunting season but i it's just one of those questions that come up if we got boaters out there that were listening i'm just real curious
1: yeah sure so in most of the state you can't uh you're not allowed to take uh, swimming game. So, and it just says swimming. So basically anytime an animal is swimming in the water, it isn't necessarily that it's in the water. It's just that it's swimming. And that's, that's a fair chase principle there. They just don't want people to, you want to, the animal has a fair chance to, to get away, I suppose. So, so for the most part, they won't, don't want somebody to, you know, just drive right up to an animal that's in the water swimming with a boat where it can't get away. It can't defend itself. Yeah. So, but once it's not swimming, you know, it's standing on the bottom and it's in the water, it is legal to take it. And again, under most uh, most of the regulations um, or the general regulations anyway, uh, although I would say it's not generally the best idea to shoot a moose or something that's partially in the water, just because their natural tendency is probably going to be try to try to escape once they've been shot or shot at, which means they may go out further into the body of water and you may have to try to either retrieve it or I mean, if it's in a river or something, it could just float away. So obviously it's probably not the best course of action unless you really like swimming around with a moose to try to try to wrangle it up onto the beach. And there are parts of the state where it is legal to shoot swimming game, particularly out in Western Alaska. Uh, that's a, considered to be a traditional method out there. And in places there you can't actually shoot caribou swimming across or swimming in the river so
0: to add on to that let me ask another question you are not because i mean it would be cruel but you are not allowed to take the boat and like coerce the animal to the beach chase it or anything like that right i'm, I'm sure i'm correct on that. that that would just be wrong
1: correct yeah so uh what you just described would probably be considered harassing game or herding game which is prohibited under the uh methods and means restrictions so yeah you can't use a motorized vehicle to you know herd or or harass game and move it in a direction that you want it to move in
0: good yeah that like i said that would just be mean if you were able or if you were able to push an animal onto the beach so you could shoot it that would just be unethically um so Let's talk about some ATVs. Um, I know that's what this whole thing typically is about. I mean, every hunter in Alaska typically has an ATV or a UTV or some type of truck or hunting buggy or something. And uh, so I understand that there are different weight limits depending on where you are and what type of machine you have. And... Is that a dry weight or is it a wet weight when you're loaded? Is it include the trailer? I mean, there's a there's a, this is a big category here. You know, uh, can you elaborate any?
1: Sure, yeah. So, I mean, mostly what the state troopers deal with would be on state land or potentially private land uh, within the state. And on state land, the generally allowed use uh, <clears throat> lets you drive a vehicle up to fifteen hundred pounds on state land with no real restrictions for the most part and on most state lands, I should say. Uh, there are parts of the state where certain times of the year motorized vehicles, land vehicles are not allowed at all, or they have some other restriction. But for the most part on, on most state land, 1500 pounds is the limit. If you want to get a vehicle heavier than that on state lands in theory, you should contact the department of natural resources and ask for a permit to do that. And, you can talk with them about that 1500 pound that limit is generally when they say that they're talking about the empty weight of the vehicle so in other words how much that vehicle weighs before you load all your gear and stuff into it and you can find that pretty easily just on the manufacturer's specifications
0: uh what about Uh, if you were attaching a meat wagon to it you know uh, or or a little wagon (laughs) behind it is that included in your weight
1: i you know it it's not really specified. I would say probably not, in most circumstances where the wildlife troops are involved. We 're not going to be out there with a scale weighing your equipment let's put it that way okay we just it's a general restriction that where we would only choose to enforce that in a particular situation. we would probably just be looking at what that vehicle specification is on how much it weighs so that's just the easiest thing that everybody can kind of agree on as opposed to how much it weighs at that particular moment so
0: yeah, and I'm sure if there's not a tag on the machine, the person who owns it could google it and find out how much the dry weight is because they're dry weight i know the manufacturer gives that a dry weight but just, i don't know for sure that it's on every tag but if not google it you should be able to come up with a dry weight of the vehicle
1: yeah and most most uh atvs the you know your, your typical atv whether it be a six-wheeler or a four-wheeler most of them are well under 1500 pounds uh some side-by-sides are under 1500, 1500 pounds the bigger side-by-sides are often over 1,500 pounds.
0: So. Okay. The uh, I've, I've also noticed, you know, I, I do a lot of off-road riding. I uh, do a lot of on-road riding too. But some machines have a tag, a registration tag on it. You know, it says Alaska something. I don't <clears throat> remember. I want to say it says land management or something like that. And then, obviously, I don't have any on my machines can you educate me a little bit and my listeners on this?
1: Sure. Uh, it's just a registration, and you can register. Snowmachines are required to be registered in Alaska, and that is um, really es- essentially what that comes down to is, is a tax system that pays for things like state trails and, and loading docks and that kind of thing for snowmobile use, essentially. ATVs are not required to be registered. So so you may see them on some ATVs. I think there was a time when the Department of Motor Vehicles would register an ATV if somebody wanted it to be registered. I'm not sure if they're doing that anymore, but it's in any case, it's not required. Some people might want to get it registered just so that there was some sort of a easy way to report it stolen or something like that but for atvs used you know in the normal way that they're used which is off-road use uh they're not required to be registered
0: okay yeah I, i like i said i've seen some of those tags and i've always wondered if i was breaking the law when i've seen it but nobody is you know the typical uh person that you're going camping with he's got it on his machine and he's oh I, I bought the machine with it you know so uh, nobody knows i have not really get a good answer on that one but one of the big debates that i've heard around the water cooler in this one here i've heard people say that i was in a non-motorized area but when i shot my moose i couldn't carry it out so i was able to go in with my atv and drag it out or or whatever and i understand by what, I mean you've been saying it—that's just not legal.
1: No, if it's non-motorized, it's non-motorized, uh, and there's there's lots of those around the state. Uh, well, the you know there's various different special use areas that have been created around the state, and some of them are do not allow motorized land vehicles. Some of them don't allow any kind of motorized vehicles, so they they vary from place to place. So you should always. You know, look at that before you go somewhere. But yeah, if you're if you're in a non-motorized area where you can't use a motorized land vehicle or something like that, just because you shot an animal and it runs in there, does not give you a legal reason that you can now use your motorized vehicle. And the wildlife troopers definitely take that kind of thing very seriously. It is not uncommon for us to seize moose or. Animals that have been taken and transported that way. In particular, we often will seize vehicles that have been used to transport game unlawfully in areas like that. So people will potentially lose their vehicles to the state, which is obviously not what anybody wants. So definitely, you want to pay attention to that. Yeah. That sort of restrictions. And,
0: and and I guess that actually. For most of your hunting regulation, for most of your uncompliance to hunting regulations, you guys are capable of doing that as well, you know, taking the motor vehicles and the game and the weapons and such. Am I correct?
1: Uh, correct. Yeah, we, we can and do seize both um, game, which is uh, unlawfully taking game is actually it's a crime to possess that in Alaska if you've taken an animal in an illegal manner it is an additional crime for you to possess that animal unless you're, you know, immediately on your way to turn it in to a law enforcement officer or something like that. So if, if somebody has taken an animal illegally, we are going to seize it. That's just pretty much the way it is. That that will be donated to charity or somebody that's going to use it. Vehicle is we have the authority to seize equipment used to commit crimes, which we don't. We won't necessarily do that at all. Uh, scenarios, but we do that from time to time. It generally is done in more egregious cases though.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the the things that always scares me if I'm out there and I've done something wrong, I don't want to lose all my stuff, you know, but I mean, the law is the law, but for example, if I'm out there and I I lean across my machine to take a shot, violated the law, but is it really justified confiscating all my equipment? I know you probably can, but.
1: Sure. And like I said, mostly when we seize uh, equipment, it's, it's in more egregious cases. I, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to go into exactly, there's no, really there's no set time when we would or would not but typically that happens when it's a very it's a very serious crime has occurred or in a case where it's something that is continuing and the only way to make someone stop committing these violations is to take the asset away from them so
0: yeah hit them uh, in the pocketbook that's where it typically counts you know
1: yeah or or just take their method of committing the crime away from them that's kind of
0: um I, I get asked all the time, you know, we're we're here in Alaska and every all of my hunter buddies that live down in the lower 48 always ask, you know, they want to know the hunting tips and all that. And I, I have always told them that for them to come up, the best thing for them to do is to actually go through a guide because guides are better at taking them, putting them on the game, making sure they're legal and all that stuff i fear bringing my cousin up and we go shoot a caribou and he hasn't got all the tags or all the permits and he's hunting in the wrong area or something like that would that put me at risk or just basically him i'm the alaskan licensed hunter and he has a out-of-state license with us would that make me illegal depending on what he did
1: Well, generally speaking, probably not. I mean, you're talking, there could be any number of things, but you know, as a non-resident, it's more expensive for him to hunt here. His his license and tags would be far more expensive than yours. And of course, as a non-resident, there are some species that he is not allowed to hunt in Alaska without a guide, brown bears, sheep, and goats. So there's that. Now, if he was a close relative, he would be allowed to hunt with you, and that's spelled out in the regulations, but, you know, say if you know your son was to hunt with you, or your daughter, or something like that, Mm -hmm. and they were a non-resident, you could, or if it was your brother, you you could take them on a hunt, and even though they were a non-resident, they could hunt with you, a resident for those species, but uh, anything else, they would, you know, for those species, they need a guide, and if they had committed a violation, and if it was something simple like you know they failed to validate a harvest ticket or something like that uh, It's just available citation and no it's not going to reflect on who's with them but sometimes in very serious cases say somebody took a moose in a closed season and then they wasted the moose so it, it was want and waste that is probably going it is potential that even though you were just there. It's just like a bank robbery, you know. If you if you go into a bank with your brother and he holds the place up, you may be a little bit more involved than in just being there. You see what I mean? Yeah. The seriousness of the crime could could end up getting somebody in trouble. But so obviously, everyone involved should be, you know, trying not to break the rules and uh, trying to keep each other out of trouble.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about one of my pet peeves. I go dip netting almost every year, and I do a lot of off-road riding. And I see these huge ATVs with six or seven people on it, you know, and a nine-year-old driving a thing. Besides it being unsafe, I mean, that can't be legal. So if I was to see that, can I call a wildlife trooper and have him come down and address it? Or what can somebody do about that?
1: Well, you could always call us, but, I, I mean, the situation you're describing, I... It isn't specifically prohibited that I'm aware of by any regulation in the state. There's no, we have a lot of freedoms here in terms of what we're allowed to do, you know, when we're not necessarily putting other people at risk. And so there aren't many regulations when it comes to ATV use in Alaska, They're, you know, mostly it's, about land use and stuff like that but so you're not required to wear helmets uh there's no you know age requirement or a license requirement or anything like that that being said if you're using an atv in a manner which is reckless and dangerous and particularly if somebody gets hurt that does not mean you wouldn't be you know criminally liable or potentially criminally liable for that but so in other words you can commit crimes with an atv but it's not like the uh, motor vehicle code on the highway. There are very few specific regulations regarding ATV use that you know spell it out for people what they can and cannot do. So basically, people should you know it's it's on them to to use that machine in a safe and responsible manner. And just like anything else out there, I guess if you, you use it in a manner that's really dumb, you may actually be committing a crime. The one thing that carries over from the highway code is into the ATV use area with DUI. Um, You're not allowed to to operate any motorized vehicle in Alaska when you're intoxicated. So, so even though there's no open container law, um, you shouldn't drink and then drive an ATV. Uh, You could potentially be arrested for that. So.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been asked this question, so I'm going to, bring it forth so if I'm on a trail riding let's just say it's middle of summer and a black bear comes out and tries to attack us or it's a moose (coughs) or I can't really think of any other animal but it's decides to charge us uh, I, I know we're allowed to take the animal but are there any rules or regulations like we need to stop immediately not move the animal call you guys can you tell us what the actions there would be uh
1: what you're talking about there is is a alaska regulation that is called defense of life and property so it We'll commonly refer to that as DLP, just in the lingo, the defense of life and property. And it just allows uh, people in the state to take game in defense of their lives or their property or somebody else's life or property. And in other words, take game outside of the normal seasons and bag limits like you described maybe it's in the middle of summer and there's no open hunting season but this animal charges you and and tries to kill you or something like that or it could just be as simple as you know it comes into your yard in the middle of winter and starts stomping on your dog for no reason those that's your property and you potentially kill that animal to save your property but there are restrictions to that as you alluded to mostly you, you can't take I mean, there's several restrictions, I guess. And, and primarily, it, you have to exhaust all reasonable avenues to you before you kill the animal. In other words, if there's a bear that keeps getting in your trash and you just shoot the bear without trying to put your trash in a more reasonable place, you know, if it's just sitting out on the curb and not in a can or something like that, then that's not going to fly as a, as a defense of life and property. It's not, not going to be legal. So, but if you've exhausted all reasonable efforts and you, you know, you've really tried, you know, this animal's damaging your property, then you're probably going to be end up being legal to for a DLP. And the other thing is, I think when people talk about DLP, one of the things they commonly forget is that if you're you know, if an animal is aggressive and you feel like you're in danger, you, you might need to shoot the animal. The first thing to think about is, is the season open? I mean, a lot of people will shoot an animal and call the troopers and say, Hey, I had to kill this thing. And uh, where, you know, how do I turn it in? And the first question we always ask, ask is, is, Well, is the season open and can you just legally harvest the animal? So, you know, if you're out traveling and the season's open and you have the proper tags and a hunting license, then if a bear charges you and the season's open and you take the bear, then, well, you just had a successful hunt instead of a, a DLP. But so just try to keep that in mind. And then, of course, if you do kill an animal under the DLP regulation, that animal is going to be the property of the state we're gonna the troopers need to know about it so you need to inform either either the alaska state troopers or the department of Fish and game and you'll have to probably gonna have to salvage the animal so if you shoot a bear you'll have to salvage the, the hide and the skull if you shoot a moose or something like that you'd have to salvage the edible meat and uh then the state is going to take possession of that. And we're going to investigate it mostly just to make sure that it was legitimate in terms of being a defense of life and property taking. And that it wasn't just somebody that, well, that wasn't following that particular set of rules. Mostly when people report a DLP, it, the vast majority of those are legitimate where they're investigated and found to be legitimate. And uh, all you have to do is fill out a fairly simple form. Fishing game wants to know the circumstances of that. So they have people fill out a, maybe a 15 minute long form so you can kind of keep track of why these things are happening so they can try to adjust you know maybe they have a, a problem area or you know it lets them know about animal behavior a little bit the kinds of activities that lead to those sorts of interactions but so if you do a dlp you need to contact uh, the department of Fish and game or the state troopers to report it you need to salvage the animal And you're probably going to have to fill out some paperwork, but it's not very challenging or difficult. It just takes about 10 or
0: 15 minutes. Okay. All right. So I know a lot of my listeners and myself included, I'll throw a tent on the back of the side-by-side and I go in there and go camping uh, right in the hunting area. Is there any regulations that you can think of that would apply if I'm camping with my four-wheeler while I'm hunting type thing? Can you help me out there?
1: yeah sure there's on um, for the most part on state land there are really very few restrictions on that the only one really that would come to mind would be there's a 14-day limit on, on occupying a particular spot on state land so you can camp pretty much any you know for the most part anywhere on state land there's some areas that might, like a state park or something might have some restrictions more additional restrictions there but for the most part state land, you can camp really anywhere you want and you're, you can occupy that spot for 14 days and then, to move to another spot so so keep that in mind if your plan is to set up your equipment somewhere and like ahead of the hunting season and leave it out there for a few weeks and then come back and occupy it during the hunting season you're you're going to be in violation of that 14 day rule uh, potentially if you leave it there long enough so that's something that people do a lot uh, they set up their camp and then basically to keep anybody else from using that spot they set up their camp long ahead of time mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do that other than that, there are very, very few restrictions. You can pretty much camp where you want.
0: I know common sense always comes into play, and I'm sure you find out that common sense does not come into play, but camping and hunting with alcohol is absolutely a no-no. That, I, I don't even have to ask you that. I'll just tell my listeners you can't be doing that.
1: Well, I mean, I would say that, yeah,
0: particularly use of firearms
1: or or. You know, hunting implements like that, a firearm or a bow or a crossbow or something like that, with while you're consuming alcohol is not only a, not a very good idea, it's, you know, obviously unlawful. But I don't want to over, you know, make that sound like you can't have, you know, some exactly, beers after yeah. the long day of hunting and when you in camp. That's obviously not, not prohibited at all. So, yeah. but yeah, uh, using a firearm while intoxicated will. That's a that's a serious trap.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I figured as much. That's why I made that statement. I, I grew up on the East Coast hunting deer before I moved out this way, and I know with deer, the bucks, you know, the first year, maybe the second year, they'll have spiked horns, which you know just tells me that they're young. But now that I'm getting up here into moose country, I've been told that a moose, if it has a spike, it has a genetic problem, and it's okay to kill it. Can you elaborate? Any?
1: Uh, I've heard that before. I don't know that there's any. I, I, I'm not a biologist, of course, but I don't think there's anything to that. I think you know, I, usually in the first to second year of a bull's life, they're they're fairly likely to. To grow a um, a spike or a fork on at least one side, and I wouldn't say that that's an abnormality, a genetic abnormality at all. But it isn't. It's not that all bulls will will at some point have a spike or a fork, but many of them will, and, and many of them will during you know during the hunting season. So I don't think it's a genetic abnormality or anything, but it isn't necessarily something that every single bull would have during the hunting season in particular. All
0: right. Reading through the hunting regulations, I've noticed in some sections that you can actually take a spike bull. Like I guess it all depends on your, your regu- the, the regulations per that sector that you're hunting and whether you can take a spike or not so just a few more but this question has been bugging my coworker. so charles here comes the question just sit back and wait um when you're measuring antlers he had a bull or maybe it was his buddy who had a bull and one side pointed out the antler pointed out the but the other side the antler rolled in and he didn't know if you had to go point to point or for the widest area total when you're measuring your antler can you Educate us on that one. Sure. Um,
1: so yeah, the, when we measure antlers, it's measured first of all, it's it's perpendicular to the axis of the skull. So in other words, it's measured directly perpendicular, the opposite direction as the way the skull is oriented. And then it's measured from the widest point to the widest point. So you know, the, in other words, the widest point on the left all the way to the widest point on the right. And uh, and so when I say perpendicular, I mean we don't measure across at an angle from say, the widest point on the left, say, is at the rear of the antler, and the widest point at the right is at the front of the antler. We're not going to measure an angle across the head. We're going to measure at a perpendicular angle and and determine the widest point on each side.
0: Yeah, that's a a factor uh, I didn't even think about going perpendicular, because maybe if you went from the back to the front, you could probably get your your measurement.
1: Exactly. You're going to add distance there, but but yeah, it is to the, from the widest point to the widest point. So we have to determine—that's on us—to determine what is the widest point and then how to measure that. And sometimes it's a little awkward because you know the, the antlers are an unusual shape. But mostly it's not too hard. It's just the you know widest point on the left to the widest point on the right. If it's not close, then it's not very difficult, you know, to say oh that's a legal bull or not. But if it is close, then Uh, sometimes that requires a little bit of, um, you know, setting the antlers up next to a wall or a board or something like that. So you can more easily see what the widest point is, but yeah, if the, if the, if the points or the tines turn in at the top, um, that isn't, you know, we're not going to measure from the tines if they're, if they're not the widest point.
0: So bringing this thing to an end here, Mike, any tips that you can give this old hunter or give the listeners out there? Is there anything that you want to get out to our listeners that uh, you think is important that everybody should know?
1: Well, tips, I would say that uh, generally speaking, in Alaska, really anywhere, it's always a good idea to, before you go out hunting or fishing, probably review the regulations a little bit. If there's something you don't understand you know, Feel free to call the Department of Fish and Game or the state troopers, the wildlife troopers, and ask for clarification on that. Generally speaking, just a good familiarity with the regulations. It's not just to keep you out of trouble, but it's also to make you understand or let you understand better what you can. And that way, when you're in the situation and you don't have much time to make a decision, you already know what you can do. You're not trying to think, wait, am I allowed to do this or not? Because you've already thought through that. But So that's, I think, a good tip. Uh, and what was the other?
0: You had another question about that too. Yeah. The uh, is there any information that you want to get out to the listeners? Is there any trends or anything going on out there that you would like to get out there to the listeners?
1: Uh, sure. I, I, I in terms of a trend that I see in, in something
0: people, that's happening a lot with these guys, or something that you right
1: know. with violations in the field. Yeah. Uh, I would say something that a lot of people do now is they carry. Wireless communication—they—they carry radios or cell phones or satellite text messengers or satellite phones—and—and people should understand that you can't use those to take game. So you know you can't talk on your radio and tell your buddy that there there's a moose down there in the valley below him and have him go and shoot it. And you can't. Likewise, you can't use a cell a cell phone to send that message or. Or a satellite messenger or sat phone that is something that that is interesting
0: <laughs> i mean been, it makes sense i never even thought that that would be occurring but i'm sure it does
1: it, it seems like it is occurring increasingly frequently and and yeah it is illegal and I'm, I'm not sure if people fully understand how illegal it is it definitely can get people in a lot of trouble and the other thing i'd just like to say is people should feel free to call department of fishing and game and the wildlife troopers if they have questions a lot of times i, I talk to people and they, they tell me that well you guys are busy i know you're busy and I, I don't want to bother you so i just didn't call to ask and sure we're busy but well part of our job is to educate the public and, and honestly good educated public that knows the rules is going to keep us from being busy so much so very very willing to to explain the regulations to people and then, of course, the Department of Fish and Game has a lot of people whose sole job basically is to explain the regulations to people. So they have public information centers where you can call in and talk to somebody, and they'll they'll explain things to you, what you need to know, what you need to do. And if they don't have the answer, they're probably going to send you to the wildlife troopers. So, yeah, always always feel free to call. And uh, if we're super busy and there's nobody available right then, we'll probably get back to you fairly quickly. and answer
0: your questions for you so to elaborate a little bit i guess or to ask a little more on the same question you know you work out of the fairbanks office so every year when that regulation comes out do you study the categories and the regulations for the sections that are around you, obviously you don't really need to worry about what's happening down in Eureka unless you get moved down there for a weekend or something like that. But I mean, right. you don't study the whole book in, inside it, because it sounds like you do, to be honest with you, Mike, because every, every question I've asked you, you've come up with a great answer. So it really sounds like, you know, that book very, very, very well.
1: Well, I've been doing this for uh, 17 years or so. So it, you know, a, a general familiarity is developed, I, I guess. But but uh, no, we certainly the, the regulations in my area are what I'm most familiar with, and it, it would be pretty hard to know all the regulations for the entire state, for any one person to be super familiar with those, just because of the... Complexity of all the regulations, but so yeah. I mean, obviously, if you have a question for uh, Talkeetna, the best thing would be to call a trooper in the valley down there and talk to that trooper. And if you have a question for for uh, Kodiak, you know, probably the a wildlife trooper on Kodiak would be the best person to answer. Yeah. And uh, up in the interior Fairbanks, but uh, so yeah, that's you know that is definitely a part of it. Is we try to keep ourselves informed on what the latest is and be you know generally very familiar with the regulations in our area, but obviously regulations in different areas might be a different story, so we we'll probably yeah. have to look that up if somebody lost.
0: I have to say, uh, almost every time I've gone fishing, uh, ice fishing, dip netting, I've run into or I see the wildlife troopers there. When I actually get in the woods hunting, I don't really see the wildlife troopers that much. How many troopers are there? I mean, you guys must—I mean, I know the troopers are large, but there's only a small— portion of wildlife troopers correct
1: right yeah we're the awt division is quite a bit smaller than the than ast the regular blue surf patrol troopers i boy i'm, I'm kind of guessing here i think it's about 80 of uh, us really? in the state
0: in this state oh that's not enough
1: <laughs> right and so yeah when when folks say they oh geez i've never seen a wildlife trooper out there uh that's that's really why we 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 try to be out as much as we can, but the odds are uh, you're probably not going to be contacted a whole lot. And you know, if you're out there for a few weeks a year, but uh, obviously we try to, you know, we try to once we've been to a spot and talk to some folks, we will try to move on, talk to somebody else we haven't talked to. But oftentimes, when you frequent places that are very heavily used, like a lot of uh, ice fish, fishing destinations, or say dip netting, where a lot of people congregate there we're going to be patrolling there heavily because of the heavy use there. So you'll see us a lot more in those sorts of places.
0: All right, Mike. Well, I want to thank you very much for participating. Folks, if you have any questions, feel free to call Fish and Game. Uh, I tried to get a 1-800 number, but there are different numbers for different areas. So even if you live in Anchorage and you're going out to toke to hunt, call the toke people so you can get the Information out there, and the best way to do it is look on their website at Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Once again, I want to thank Trooper Mike Potter for coming on and educating us on some hunting regulations that we that we should all know before we're heading into the woods. So this brings us to a close of another great podcast. Don't forget to tune in next time. You never know who's going to be my guest or what topic we might be covering. I want to remind everybody to subscribe and to follow us and to visit our website. Donations are greatly appreciated so I can continue to grow and bring great podcasts to you. If you have any questions or ideas for topics, email me at Podcast at gmail.com. And please always remember to sit back and enjoy the ride.